the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. So before uh, David preaches, we'll take time to pray for him. Living God, we know that uh, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so in the ways that you have worked in, in David, your spirit to prepare for this, uh, this sermon, we ask that your spirit would be at work in opening the eyes of our hearts to see and to hear Jesus as David preaches. Fill him with joy and hope. Fill him with a deep sense of your work in his heart as well as he preaches. Thank you that we get a chance to come together and to hear your word in this way. We love you. We praise you. All glory to you. In Christ's name. Amen.
Good afternoon, everyone. It is always good to see you, and uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity, opportunity to open scripture this afternoon with you. As you know, the last uh, two years have been extremely difficult for most people in most countries. The pandemic, uh, war, horrific racist attacks, um, those are the kind of news that have fed our, uh, our screens or the papers or the, or the sounds of the, of the, of the t news shows. It's been a difficult time um, for churches in general and for our church in particular. Um, added to the pandemic, we had the issue of the displacement and other things, as you know. Last week, I was talking to, to another, another uh, friend who's involved in ministry. And uh, as he was sharing with me the challenges that his congregation was facing, I felt compelled to tell him, remember, God loves your church. And he replied, and God loves First Baptist too. And that touched me, and that framed my whole approach to the, to the sermon this afternoon. Uh, so I want to preach this uh, today out of that certainty that Christ loves us, that Christ loves this church as he does his church in, in general, his global church. But I want to focus on us. Christ loves this church. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always in good times, but even more closely when things are rough. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The last portion of the passage that Maria read uh, and the children recreated for us is so famous among Christians that it even has its own name. We commonly refer to this passage as the Great Commission, right? You know it. It's famous. And with good reason, this passage has been a source of inspiration for action. In reading it, we are reminded that we're not simply passive recipients of God's mercy in our lives, but that we are invited to participate in His plan for the whole of creation, for the whole of humanity. Perhaps the most important lesson that I learned during the 15 years that I worked with Canadian Baptist Ministries in Latin America as a teacher, alongside with Susanna and the kids, is that the good news of the gospel is best communicated, best 
represented, best lived out, not by specialized individuals in doing the work in isolation, but by local communities of faith, by local churches. Yes, churches that intentionally, intentionally invite and welcome broken people to be part of them, to share life together, to enjoy the fellowship and companionship that they already enjoy in Christ. These communities, these churches are not perfect, far from it. Sometimes they lack resources. Sometimes the leadership is not properly trained. Many times they lack, a, they lack a building. Most churches in the world lack a building. Sometimes the authorities are against them. These communities of disciples are and will be loving, yet broken. Worshipful, yet doubt-filled. Just like the community of disciples that we see in the passage that we read today. What makes the difference, the difference about this, these communities that I've seen is not the size of the internal or external difficulties that they might face. What makes the difference is whether their eyes are on Jesus and they are seeking to reflect him as a community. That's what makes a difference. In the last few days, as Justin was mentioning um, just a few moments ago, the pastoral team went on a, on a retreat. As we got to know each other better, um, and as we shared uh, in fellowship, one of us asked, um, I asked a very heartfelt question question that I want to share with you because I think this question is going to be at the center not only of our ministry but at the center of our community life. The question is this, how are we going to be faithfully present to each other? How are we going to be faithfully present to each other? So, as we reflect on our shared answer, I want to guide your attention to some important details about this, the passage that we just read. Verse 17. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very 
end of the age. The first thing that comes to my mind about teaching people everything that, he has, that Jesus commanded us is that the greatest commandment is to love one another. But let's start with verse 17. We'll get to that point about love. This question that I'm going to ask you might appear too obvious for some of you, for most of you. But bear with me. Have you noticed how the gospel mentions the number 11? Why doesn't Matthew uh, just say the disciples? Why does he take time and ink and papyrus, I guess, to take to mention the number 11? I think the answer to that question is deeper than we might first imagine. You see, Jesus' community used to have a core group of 12 friends. They were so close that Jesus even used to call them friends. And in the passage we read, Jesus calls them brothers. In the same way that happens at our time, we call someone brother to express affection, right? So it was a loving community. The number of disciples is not a coincidence, that group of 12. It was a deep symbolic, it has a deep symbolic meaning because it points back to the whole people of God, 12th tribe of Israel. When we love someone, we feel their absence or they feel our absence, right? All of you who have immigrated to Canada know that, understand that. There is an absence that remains in the heart. We talked about that in the belonging course. It was really precious to hear some of those experiences. Now, some absences are an inevitable part of life. People choose different paths or activities or opportunities uh, that take them away from you know, their household or, or, their, um, or their circle of friends or from where they were born. Other absences are uh, occur out of hurt or hurtful actions, right? Uh, so even in the immigrant experience, some people choose to immigrate here and some people come as refugees. They never really chose to leave the place uh, that they had to leave to save their lives. Um, in any case, Jesus' community of friends is no different. They experience this sense of loss. One of these friends was not there anymore. Judas had betrayed Jesus and the group, uh, as you know, and as we read in Easter. This community of broken individuals had experienced loss. Relationships suffered. So the frailty and woundedness of the community is first hinted at by mentioning the number of disciples present in the mountain of, in Galilee. There was only 11, not the complete 12, as it was meant to be. Then the frailty and woundedness of the community 
is explicitly named in the fact that when they saw Jesus, some of the disciples worshipped, but some of them doubted when they saw Jesus. But here is when we encounter good news again. The focus is not on the woundedness, but on how Jesus comes to them again. He gathers them around himself. Jesus had promised that he would meet them in Galilee, and he does. The community needs to experience the good news and Jesus is faithfully meeting them. But that is not all Jesus but that is not all that Jesus does. Jesus goes one step further and entrusts this community, this community, with the same burning divine desire and purpose of redemption. Beloved, wounded, doubting friends, make disciples. Don't leave anyone out. That's my version of go and make disciples of all nations. Don't leave anyone out. Jesus is doing the gospel work in this wounded community and hallelujah, merciful Lord, Jesus wants to do the gospel work with, alongside, this wounded community. That is our Savior. Jesus is asking and entrusting his friends, his community, to tell a story about life, abundant life. It is Jesus' story but it is also the story of the community that recognizes him as Lord. It is a story that is in contradiction with the story that, that was most convenient for the religious and political power of the time. We find that in verses 11 to 15. Remember what, um, what that other version of the story is? While the women... Um, while the, in verse 11, it says, While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report goes to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among Jews to this very day. So there's two versions of what happened that day, right? One that was convenient for the religious and political power, and one that is about a triumph of death, of life over death. That is about Jesus' triumph over death. This story, the story of Jesus' 
and triumph over death is witnessed by humble, powerless women. Back in Jesus' time, the testimony of a woman was worth much less than the testimony of a man. And yet, Jesus chose women as the first witnesses of his resurrection. What a bold move. And he greets them with these words that always change everything. These words change everything, folks. Do not be afraid. These words, do not be afraid, are also in the first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And they are a proper end to the Gospel of Matthew. They are spoken because the circumstances of the moment may understandably cause fear or confusion. But they are spoken to focus the attention of the hearer to God's action, to God's presence. Do not be afraid. The story of Jesus' Jesus's triumph over death started with lowly witnesses and with a broken, doubting community. This was intentional. This was no mistake. It is just as Jesus wanted it. So what does that mean for us? Christ loves the church with the same passion he loved his fellowship of disciples whom he called brothers. Let me bring it a bit closer to home. Christ loves us with the same passion he loved this fellowship of discipleship. Of discipleship. So, I want to invite you to seek answers together to the question that, uh, that we heard in, um, a little while ago that we, that we shared in the pastoral retreat. How are we going to be faithfully present to each other? I bring it up again because being faithfully and lovingly present to each other is essential for carrying out the great commission of making disciples. I'll say it again. Being faithfully and lovingly present to each other is essential for carrying out the great commission of making disciples. So, let's do as the wound, as the first wounded community of disciples did. They held on to each other and they proclaimed the good news. The story of Jesus' triumph over death is badly needed today. Our world is oppressed by the weight of deceit, of deceit of other stories, the stories that lead to war, stories that lead to racist attacks, stories that lead to death. 
The story of God's burning desire for all nations must be shared today. And Jesus has entrusted us with that story. How are we going to be present, faithfully present to each other? We will continue preaching from the book of Acts uh, with our eyes fixed on Jesus' faithfulness to his disciples as they carry out the Great Commission. I hope that we get to understand and experience God's burning passion for bringing healing to the nations as we do that. The woundedness, the hurt and doubt or anxiety that have characterized the last few years is not unknown to Christ. The woundedness, hurt and doubt or anxiety of the first community of friends was no barrier for Jesus to continue to do his good work in them. In fact, he chooses once again to do the work of salvation in them and alongside them. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Surely I am with you always. Amen. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. For more sermons and information about our church's services and programs, please visit firstbc.org.